0: Chapter Twelve, Part Three of Commentary in the Gospel of John, Book Eleven, by Cyril of Alexandria, Translated by Reverend Thomas Randall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twelve, Thirteen, Fourteen. So the band, and the chief captain, and the officers of the Jews, seized Jesus, and bound him, and led him away to Annas first, for he was father in law to Caiaphas, which was high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Now that all obstacles had been overcome, and Peter had put away his sword, and Christ had, as it were, surrendered himself to the hand of the Jews, though he need not have died, and it was easier for him to escape, THE SOLDIERS AND SERVANTS TOGETHER WITH THEIR GUIDE GIVE WAY TO CRUEL RAGE AND ARE TRANSPORTED WITH THE ARDOR OF VICTORY. THEY TOOK THE LORD WHO GAVE HIMSELF UP wholly TO THEIR WILL AND PUT FETTERS UPON HIM, THOUGH HE CAME TO US TO RELEASE US FROM THE BONDAGE OF THE DEVIL AND TO LOOSE US FROM THE CHAINS OF SIN. AND THEY BRING HIM TO Annas, WHO WAS THE FATHER-IN-LAW OF CAIAPHAS. Whence we may conclude that he was the prime mover and contriver of the iniquity against Christ, and that the traitor, when he received his hire, obtained from him the ban to take Christ. He is, therefore, taken away to him first of all. For the Jews were bent on showing to us that that was indeed truly spoken of them which the prophet put into their mouths. Let us bind the righteous man, for he is useless unto us christ was indeed to the jews useless not because of his own nature but because as they were prone to love sin and pleasure he seemed to bring them no good thing when he expounded to them a righteousness exceeding the law and set before them without concealment the knowledge of the pleasure of the god that loves virtue when the law pointed out no such way but rather in the darkness of allegory feebly and indirectly indicated what might be a profit to its hearers. Just as, then, the sunlight is useless to those whose sight is injured and brings them no profit, because the disease prevents it, and just as, to people in bad health, healthy food sometimes seems the most useless, though it used to bring the health so much desired. So, likewise, to the Jews, the Lord seems useless, though he was the prince of salvation for they refused to be saved they sent him bound to caiaphas the high priest now caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people the sacred and holy victim then that is christ was captured by the malice of annas and the service of his hirelings and ensnared within the net was led to him that compassed and instigated the slaughter of the innocent this was caiaphas and he was adorned with the office of the priesthood and by his questions he seems to have begun the shedding of blood as he also was convicted of having originated the impious enterprise He receives Jesus bound, and as the fruit of his counsel and impious designs, the miserable man committed the most impious act that has ever been committed. For what can be more grievous than impiety against Christ? 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did the other disciple. While the other disciples, it seems, were panic-stricken, and fled from the present wrath of the murderers, Peter, who was always moved thereto by more fervent passion, clings to his love for Christ, and follows him at the peril of his life, and watches the issue of events, the other disciple accompanying him, and with like courage sustaining a similar resolution this was john the truly pious writer of this divine work for he calls himself that other disciple without giving himself a definite name fearing to seem boastful and abhorring the appearance of being better than the rest for the crowning achievements of virtue if manifested by any of the righteous yet are never blazoned forth to the world by their own mouth For it very ill beseems a man to win praise rather out of his own mouth than the conversation of other men. In the book of Proverbs it is written, Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. 15. Now that disciple was known unto the high priest, and entered in with Jesus into the court of the high priest. The Apostle shows great forethought in condescending to mention this fact, and does not scruple to enter into detail where it is profitable for us. For as he was about to set down in order in his book what was done and said in the palace of the high priest, he was, as it were, compelled to show us how he was able to enter there with Christ. For, he says, he was known unto the high priest he enters therefore without hindrance his knowledge of the leader of the people for he is not thought proper to say friendship allowing him free entrance within the doors in order then that he might convince us that he did not compile his account of what took place in the palace from information drawn from others BUT THAT HE HIMSELF SAW AND HEARD WHAT PASSED, HE HAS GIVEN US THIS MOST USEFUL EXPLANATION OF HIS KNOWLEDGE OF THE HIGH PRIEST. 16. BUT PETER WAS STANDING AT THE DOOR WITHOUT, SO THE OTHER DISCIPLE, WHICH WAS KNOWN UNTO THE HIGH PRIEST, WENT OUT, AND SPAKE UNTO HER THAT KEPT THE DOOR, AND BROUGHT IN PETER. Peter did not lag behind from any lack of fervor of heart, but only because the vigilance of the damsel at the gate made entrance perilous for those with whom she had no previous acquaintance. And though it might not have been difficult for a man to push a woman aside, yet it might have involved a charge of unruly behavior. The disciple, therefore, though in great distress of mind, was compelled to stay without, till the other, seeing that he was much grieved thereat, brought him in with himself by speaking to the maid and presiding at the door, and asking as a favor that his companion in jealous fervor might accompany him. 17. The maid, therefore, that kept the door, saith unto Peter, Art thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. As Christ had already foretold to Peter that he would thrice deny our Saviour Christ, and that before the cock crew his faith would fail, the inspired evangelist relates in detail where and how the prophecy was fulfilled. The maid, seated at the door, then inquires of him whether he was not one of the number of the disciples of him who was undergoing the unjust trial. Peter denies it. And parries the question as though it were a charge, saying, I am not. Not fearing at all to be taken, or shrinking from proclaiming the truth, but disregarding and making light of enduring any kind of evil against his will in comparison with being with Christ. His transgression then proceeds from love, and his denial has its root in the love of God, not indeed proceeding from any just reasoning but at any rate testifying to the fervour of his desire to be with christ eighteen now the servants and the officers were standing there having made a fire of coals for it was cold and they were warming themselves and peter also was with them standing and warming himself peter having passed inside the door and finding himself encircled by the servants Affects to do what they do, though bowed down with grief and with an intolerable burden of agony at heart, that he might not be convicted by his despondent and sorrowful countenance of feeling sympathy with the man who was on trial, and be cast out from the doors which contained all he loved. For it is quite incredible that the disciple should have been so carnally minded as to seek out a means of appeasing the chill of winter when he was thus heavy with grief for if he might have enjoyed greater luxuries than this he could not have borne to do so while christ was thus afflicted he intentionally models his behaviour on the apathy of the attendants and as though he had no inducement to despondency shakes off the chill of winter in order that he might create the belief that he was one of the inmates of the house and might thus for the future escape answering any further questions with a denial. But the word of the Saviour could not be falsified, for he foretold to the disciple what he, as God, knew would certainly happen. 19. The high priest therefore asked Jesus of his disciples and of his teaching. A teacher of the people, learned in the law, ONE OF THOSE ON WHOM THE DIVINE BIDDING LAYS THE DUTY, JUDGE YE RIGHTEOUS JUDGEMENT. AFTER HAVING TAKEN THE LORD, AS THOUGH HE HAD BEEN A NOTORIOUS ROBBER, BY A BAND OF ARMED SOLDIERS AND A NUMBER OF IMPIOUS OFFICERS, ASKS HIM OF HIS DISCIPLES AND OF HIS DOCTRINE, SHOWING THEREBY THAT HE WAS IN WANT OF CHARGES TO BRING AGAINST HIM. FOR THE MAN WHO WAS NOW ON TRIAL KNEW NO SIN. He asks him about his doctrine, to elicit from him whether it accorded with the Mosaic law, or coincided and concurred with the old dispensation, and what purpose his disciples had implanted in their hearts, whether to submit to be guided by ancient customs, or to practise any strange and novel kind of worship. He did this in malice, for he supposed that Christ would make an outspoken attack on the law and that, by pleading for the rejection of the Mosaic dispensation, he would excite the Jews to embittered and furious revilings against himself, so that he might in the future appear to be paying a just penalty for deliberately fighting against God. For to enter the list against the divine commandments, if any mere human being were convicted of any word or deed with that intent, were to declare oneself an open enemy of God, and they were treating Christ as a mere man, and thought that they were doing well to chastise the Lord of the law for the transgression of the law, not remembering him that said, Impious is he that saith unto a king, Thou art a lawbreaker. 20. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogues and in the temple. Where all the Jews come together, and in secret spake I nothing. It were fruitless labour, Christ says, to search out as obscure what is universally known. And how can it be seemly, where full knowledge is present, to set up a pretence of ignorance? This is what Christ seems to us to say with the object of releasing himself from the charges that had been fabricated and maliciously devised against him by the malice of the leaders of the people. But I think, also, that there is a suggestion of another meaning. For, he says, I have spoken openly to the world, that is to say, the utterances given to you by the mediation of moses come in types and shadows and do not teach expressly the will of god but rather create a vision of the actual truth beyond themselves and wrapped up in the obscurity of the letter do not completely reveal the knowledge of those things which are needful for us i have spoken openly to the world and apart from riddles and the shadow as it were of the form of that which is good i set before you the right and pointed out the straight path of piety towards god without any tortuous turnings i spake to the world not he says to the one nation of the israelites for if the things that are of me are not yet known throughout the whole world they will be so in due season i ever taught in synagogues we can scarcely fail to see what he means here he reminds those of the jews who were in his presence methinks however reluctant of prophecy which thus spoke concerning him for what said the divine isaiah putting the words in christ's mouth i have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth and again i have spread out my hands all the day unto a disobedient and rebellious people For what else can not speaking in secret in a dark place mean, but giving discourses openly, and speaking in places where there is no small concourse of hearers? Very well and appropriately he brings to their recollection the saying of the prophet, that they might learn that they are judging impiously that Messiah, who was the due fulfillment of their hopes. For to the Jews belong the promise, as Paul says twenty one why askest thou me ask them that have heard me what i spake unto them behold these know the things which i said he rebukes those learned in the law for that they themselves sinned against the law in which they took pride for before he had been condemned they passed premature sentence upon him and yet busied themselves in seeking for errors on his part Why, then, he says, dost thou question me, and call on me to answer, who have already endured your attack, and had punishment allotted me before conviction? Or you may put another construction on what he said. Those who already hate me, and receive with such extreme dishonor whatever I tell them of the things that are mine, would not, perhaps, shrink from proclaiming what is false. LEARN THEN FROM THE LIPS OF OTHERS. THE SEARCH FOR WITNESSES WOULD NOT BE AT ALL DIFFICULT, FOR THESE HEARD MY WORDS. Some one MAY PERHAPS IMAGINE THAT HE THAT KNOWETH THE HEARTS AND REINS INDICATED SOME OF THE BYSTANDERS AS HAVING chanced TO HEAR HIS WORDS. BUT IT IS NOT SO. FOR HE REFERRED TO CERTAIN OF THE OFFICERS WHO ONCE MARVELLED AT HIS DOCTRINE. AND PERHAPS, TO MAKE OUR MEANING CLEAR, we ought to explain the time and occasion when this occurred. This same inspired evangelist has told us that once, when our Savior Christ was preaching and unfolding the doctrine concerning the kingdom of heaven to the assembled Jews, the teachers of the Jewish ordinances were sore enraged and full of bitter envy of him and strove to remove him from their midst. In the words of the evangelist, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to take him. But as our Savior was continuing his long and full discourse, those which were sent by the Jews were convinced along with the rest, and were more amazed than any one else among the multitude of his hearers. Thus speaks the Evangelist. The officers therefore came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they spake unto them why did ye not bring him? The officers answered, Never man so spake. The Pharisees therefore answered them, Are ye also led astray? Observe how distressed at heart the Pharisees were, when they found that the officers had been at length convinced and sore amazed. The Saviour then, knowing this, says, Ask them that have heard me, behold, these know the things which I said. Either then, he says, these know, looking at those who were then standing by, or else referring to the fact that even they who ministered to the impiety of the chief priests themselves marveled at the beauty of his teaching. 22. And when he had said this, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying unto him, Answerest thou the high priest so? It had been foretold by the mouth of the prophet that with Christ this would come to pass. I gave my back to the scourge, and my cheeks to them that smite. He was being led on in truth to the end long ago foretold, to the verdict of Jewish presumption which was also the abolition and determination of our deserved dishonour, for that we sinned in Adam first, and trampled underfoot the divine commandment. For he was dishonoured for our sake, in that he took our sins upon him, as the prophet says, and was afflicted on our account. For as he wrought out our deliverance from death, giving up his own body to death, so likewise, I think, the blow with which Christ was smitten in fulfilling the dishonor that he bore, carried with it our deliverance from the dishonor by which we were burthened through the transgression and original sin of our forefather. For he, being one, was yet a perfect ransom for all men, and bore our dishonor. But I think the whole creation would have shuddered, had it been suffered to be conscious of such presumption. For the Lord of glory was insulted by the impious hand of the smiter. And I think that it would display a spirit of pious research to desire to learn why this insolent and presumptuous officer smites Jesus, who had made no stubborn or angry reply at all, but had returned a very gentle answer to all the charges brought against him, and it may be observed that the leader of the Jewish nation had not bidden him smite Jesus, and assail him with such extravagant impiety. Some may, perhaps, allege as the reason the ordinary and received custom among the officers, when they brought to the rulers men accused of some transgression, to compel them to reply courteously, even against their will, and treat them at times with contumely, when they returned a rude answer. But I do not think this ever occurred to excite his passion against Christ. And, if we fix our attention on what has already been said, we shall find another reason for his insolence. For we said just now that certain of the officers who were bidden to take Jesus came into collision with the rulers, AND RETURNED SO FAR INITIATED INTO THE MYSTERIES OF CHRIST, AND AMAZED AT HIM, THAT THEY OPENLY DECLARED, NEVER MAN SO SPAKE. WHEREAT THE PHARISEES WERE GREATLY ENRAGED, AND SAID, ARE YE ALSO LED ASTRAY? HATH ANY OF THE RULERS OR OF THE PHARISEES BELIEVED ON HIM? BUT THIS MULTITUDE, WHO KNOW NOT THE LAW, ARE ACCURSED. As then the Saviour's words reminded the rulers of the indignation then stirred up in them against the officers, for he referred to them as witnesses of his teaching, saying, Behold, these know the things which I said. The officer was charged before them with having been struck with admiration of Christ, and wishing to repel the suspicion of being well disposed towards him, and to divert their thoughts elsewhere, smote him on the mouth not suffering him to say anything that could injure the reckless band of officers twenty three jesus answered him if i have spoken evil bear witness of the evil but if well why smitest thou me he proves the officer guilty of a gross wrong even if he that was on his trial had been a man of obscure position for he smote him causelessly contrary to his express duty not urged thereto by legal commands but rather incited to brutal ferocity of behaviour by his own inbred madness call in question if it please thee and refute my words as not spoken aright but if thou canst not do this why smitest thou me with whose speech thou canst find no fault This is, indeed, the ordinary and most usual interpretation of the passage, but I think the meaning of the passage is different from this. For it may be that he convicts the officer as guilty of the greater sin, not because he smote him merely, but because, after having been previously amazed at his teaching, and not having now found him in any wise guilty, he yet endured to treat him with contumely for if he says thou hadst not once been struck by my words if i had not then seemed to you to teach most noble doctrines and thou hadst not been convinced that i expounded holy writ in a marvellous way if thou hadst not thyself exclaimed never man so spake perhaps some plea might have been found for giving mercy to thy inexperience and acquitting thee of this charge but since thou hast known and hast marveled at my teaching and wouldst not perhaps christ says have borne witness against my words if thou didst now think it right to bear in mind thine own words how canst thou have any cloak for thy sin you may understand the passage in this way but also remark how the saviour herein sketches for us the pattern of his great long-suffering towards us in all its incomparable excellence and as in a well-defined portrait by the actions of his life gives us a type of the nature of his exceeding great mercy for he that by one single word might have brought utter ruin on the jews endures to be smitten as a slave he offers no resistance and does not requite his persecutors with instant chastisement for he is not subject to our infirmities nor under the dominion of passion or resentment or discomposed by their malicious insults but he gently puts his adversary to shame and tells him that he did not write to strike one who answered courteously and in the hour of his imminent peril forgets not the virtues he continually practised for by proper argument he strives to induce the servant that ministered to the malice of the jews to abandon his fit of passion himself receiving evil for good according to the scripture but requiting those who were dishonoring him with good instead of evil but our lord jesus christ even when he was smitten endured it patiently though he was truly god the lord of heaven and earth and we poor miserable mortals mean and insignificant as we are mere dust and ashes and likened to the green herb for as for man his days are as grass as a flower of the field so he flourisheth according to the scripture when one of our brethren happens to have some words with us and lets fall some vexatious expression we think we do right to be enraged with the fury of dragons and cease not to pelt him with a storm of words in return for one not granting forgiveness to human littleness nor considering the frailty of our common humanity nor burying in brotherly love the passions that thus arise nor looking unto jesus himself the author and perfecter of our faith. But eager to avenge ourselves in that to the uttermost, though holy writ declares in one place, he that pursueth vengeance pursueth it to his own death. And in another, let none of you harbor resentment in your heart against your brother. But let Christ, the Lord of all, himself, be unto us a pattern of gentleness to one another, and exceeding great forbearance. For he, for this very reason, saith unto us, A disciple is not above his master, nor a servant above his lord. End of the Eleventh Book End of Chapter Twelve End of Commentary in the Gospel of John, Book Eleven, by Cyril of Alexandria. Translated by Reverend Thomas Randall